0: Welcome to the Voice of Aged Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Badgick smith and in over a decade, I have supported hundreds of older adults to improve their well-being in late life. This podcast offers an authentic insight into aged care, practical tips, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person needs to feel heard, loved, and understood, and it is my mission to halve the depression rates in Australian aged care facilities by 2022. Everyone, I have a very special guest for us today, Reverend Ron Baker is almost 90 years old and he lives in an aged care facility here in Australia. Now, I thought it was very important to speak to Ron because he's got a wealth of knowledge and experience in wide range of topics and he's done a lot of talks, but I was very interested in speaking to him this year about the impact of COVID-19 and how it's affecting those who live in aged care facilities. Hello, Ron. How are you? Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you going? Oh, day by day,
1: day by day.
0: What has it been like this year for
1: you? We've basically been in lockdown since the 4th of March. Right. Yes, but um. It it has its moments. Uh, we get a bit of freedom to move around the complex, but then uh, there's no. Someone else will get sick, and then there's the shutdown. At the moment, we've gone back into another shutdown.
0: And did they say how long it's going to be this time? Uh, a
1: couple of weeks. This one. Mm, Okay. It's only precautionary.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I guess, it you know, it would affect a lot, you know, what you can do because I know you are very well connected with your community and with visitors and...
1: Well, I I do a lot of communication via via the phone and via the iPad uh, or the computer. I mean, I'm still connected with the outside world, outside the room, uh, which is very good, you know, for me and it keeps me alert. And I got a nice big television, 55 inch television, to watch my sport and everything like that. And at the moment, I'm watching The Sullivans, the old series of The Sullivans. And, you know, I got myself occupied.
0: That's great. How long have you been in aged care facilities now, Ron?
1: Uh, About four years.
0: Four years, okay. And has it been what you thought it would be like?
1: Well, I struggled for the first 10 weeks when I went into the first one. I'm now in the second one, which is higher care. The first 10 months, I I sort of struggled because of the, I, I lost my independence. I, that's what I was telling myself. You know, they're giving me medication. They're telling me what to do and, and you know, but now it's in this higher care, where I have physio on my body four days a week and the staff have to shower me and they shave me and uh, you know my my mobility's almost gone now but I'm very very well looked after.
0: That's great and have you been able to make friendships with other residents?
1: Oh yes, oh yes, Uh, it's been tremendous the way that I've been able to have a ministry really with some of them. I've got about 20 of them i have a ministry thought for today and they're on that where i send out a little thought each day and they're they're on the on the list and they receive that they're happy they come they have little talks with me Um, yeah it's been great it's been really great and and uh i think i've um dispatched about 20 lots of my two books and uh dvds to the staff they've wanted to read they want to know my story they want to know my background Uh, what happened what changed my life and so it's great it's great I'm really really um, excited about what I've been able to do.
0: That's amazing and I think what's really been important for you is to continue your your work even in an aged care facility even though your health is declining it certainly has not stopped you from your passions and your your commitments and dedications and interests.
1: Oh no it would never do that because I'm, I'm very grateful my mind's still good
0: Yes, yes. Would you mind sharing briefly with our listeners just what you've been doing in the last, how long? It's been 50 years?
1: Yeah, um, I became a Christian in 1959 at the Billy Graham crusade in Sydney. Then I learned to read and write. Then I learned to speak. I had four years of speech therapy. And then I did six years at uh, at a college and trained. And then, um I went out into ministry, uh, became a pastor, became an evangelist, traveled all over the world for a while. Yes, uh, I've had a great, great ministry since those days. But you know, when I first came into the um, retirement village i um and I thought sort I of was in a nice, lovely unit and that sort of thing, and then before I came into where I'm cared for today. I sort of thought to myself, there's other things I can do. So I got very involved, and uh, I'm still very involved. Uh, At one time uh, from my room, I was mentoring 25 pastors around the world. So, yes, I keep myself active.
0: Absolutely. And can you tell me a little bit about what kind of activities they've been having on site at the facility outside of what you organise yourself?
1: uh basically uh, basically i I organized everything from here because we can't get out yes I mean I've only been outside the facility twice in since the fourth of uh, March, and that was once to go to my eye specialist and once to my hearing aid, but that had to be very precautionary, had to be well done was the mask gloves and the whole et cetera et cetera. You know, you've got to appreciate the way that they do things when they want to really run the place well. Yep, yep.
0: How did you feel about leaving the place those two times? Was it stressful?
1: mm mm-hmm. oh, no. Look, a lot of them become stressful. A lot of them become oh, a little bit edgy, but uh, I've learned a lot. I had a major breakdown in 1976, and uh, I learned a lot from the rehabilitation of that breakdown because I had a lot of clinical, you know, depression and so forth, et cetera. So I I know the signs and I see them, and I know how to keep myself activated. And the key that keeps me activated is diversional therapy. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm getting a bit irritable about something, change the scene, change the scene, change the conversation. Diversional therapy.
0: And you can do that even in a facility that is locked down. I can
1: do that sitting near in my room.
0: Okay, so if you have bad thoughts that enter your head, you know how to just distract yourself and do something completely different.
1: Well, I zap them. I just zap them, and I got a little saying that there's no landing landing rights in my mind.
0: Oh, wow, that's
1: <laughs> no landing rights. Isn't it? They cannot land.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and given your positive attitude and approach to life, do you find that other residents who, who might be sad or down come to you seeking comfort?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, uh, they do. The chaplain and myself work very well to do it together because I do chaplain talks and um, they enjoy what I do and uh, the way I do it. And, of course, I'm me. I'm just an Aussie, you know was an uneducated Aussie, became educated, or whatever you call me, but uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun. Like, for instance, when I'm doing a talk with them, uh, I'm about to do one chapel service soon, and I'm doing uh, the subject, uh, counting the cost. Well, I started with something real Aussie, you know, and i say to them, today we're gonna talk about counting the cost. Have you ever counted the cost? When your daughter came home and said, I want to get married, and she said, I've found the one and only man, and then when you meet the one and only man, you think he's the most handsome guy in the world, and you agree to it, but then you sit down and you think, oh, my God, how much is this going to cost? And that sort of introductory stuff in all the messages I do connects them because it's real. That's a great approach. I haven't, yeah,
0: I haven't thought of it that way. But I guess what you're saying is that you connect with people on a level that kind of surprises them. That's right. Yeah. A lot of those talks they have in the facility and presenters and that, you know, it's well thought out and everything. But with you, you try to make it more conversational.
1: That's right. And then, of course, you develop the scripture passage that you're going to talk about and that kind of thing. And then, you know, you tell them a bit of humour or, you know, sometimes you'll think of something that uh, is very relational but has got humour. Like for a while in uh, where I am, I ran discussion groups, you know, and we get a large crowd to those discussion groups, and I remember just to tell you of one. One day we had a big discussion group and it was about... Their first love affair. Well, that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Did they open up? Uh, Yeah, oh, yes, they opened up. Uh, We had some inside stories. (laughs) But but then another one I ran one day was, where did you go for a holiday when you were a kid? Well, that opened up a Pandora's box. Oh, so where do you come up with these ideas of what to ask them in the discussion groups? Yeah, I, I do it because, see, being... I had to learn to read and write at 32. I became hungry because I couldn't read. I had no knowledge. I had nothing, nothing of a schooling, educated background. And so it was a lovely Roman Catholic family that taught me to read and write. And I got a hunger. And I still got that hunger today. So when I do my thought for today, and I'm looking for quotes on what I'm going to think about, I go into uh, Google and I sort of print up the quote it so, quotes about, and then I'll sit here and I'll think, well, what do I want to, how do I want to relate to them? And yesterday I was doing this, and so I got, tapped in yesterday, quotes about happiness. And so that Google then unfolded heaps of quotes about happiness. And that's how I do it. You
0: certainly do not sound like a 90-year-old doing that, you know. (laughs) You know how to use technology and, and facilitate group discussions. So even though you're in a lockdown, these groups are still running because the residents are also in lockdown. Similarly, you can do the groups?
1: No, we can do one group and then another group. You can't do the two groups. See, we're on two floors and you can't do the two together, but you can do bottom floor and then a top floor.
0: Okay. And do you have staff that help to facilitate it or do you run the group all by yourself?
1: The staff facilitate it, but I, I lead it for them, that sort of thing, and then um, and then um, on occasions we play them a video, I'll send you a couple of links uh, later on, Well we then um, show them some of the uh, interviews I've done, you know. And, um, Like Transforming Ministries interviewed me, Uh, Reverend Keith Garner, I think it was, from the Methodist Church, he interviewed me. Uh, You know, there's kind of things like that, that um, they're keen to look at because they want to know what happened to me. Why am I the person I am today? Yes, yeah, I understand. But it's all good. I enjoy it.
0: Absolutely, because you, yeah, you, I don't think you see yourself as someone who's retired. You're still very much working and. Oh,
1: no. Well, I'm having fun out of it. You are, you are, definitely. Then I do a lot of other things. I do a lot of research on a lot of other things, you know, people wanting to find their biological mother, you know, that have been adopted. I do a lot of that research, right? And the latest one I've been doing research on is the baby when they begin to laugh and when they begin to talk.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds great. I'll have to look into it. Now, Ron, at the place where you live, do you have a lot of, you know, fellow residents, neighbours who are from non-English speaking backgrounds? Oh, yes. Is it harder to engage with them and and bring them to your discussion groups?
1: Uh, Not really, because what I do, um, I was taught something years ago in my training, And it was a little statement that said this, get the sense of the occasion, right? So when I'm having a meeting and I can see a different language problem, I go back and remember my four years of speech therapy and therefore I got a whole, if you like, volume of knowledge in those areas to pull on. So what I look look at and I think to myself, I've got to get an associated idea. For example, when I was learning Greek, Do you think I could remember the Greek word for face, which is prosopon? I could not get my head around that until one day I said prosopon, a face, prosopion, a place, and I've never forgot that Greek word ever. And that's what I do with people with language problems. I look for an associated idea that will communicate, get me the level, and once you get the level, then then I I can go with it. And I learnt that in my travels like as an evangelist because for example say uh when i was in switzerland i had to go by train somewhere one day and i went to the station there wasn't one person speaking english but you know i got all the information i needed i got on the train where i was going and i went to the place that i had to go that's how i do it and you got there in the end (laughs) yeah yeah, i do it the most communication is by association Absolutely. And also, obviously, with body language. Oh, well, I studied body language. I studied that. And you see, of course, you learn a lot in the program that I go to. See, I've been 59 years since I touched alcohol. And so you learn a lot in the 12-step in the program. There's a lot that you learn and you, you learn a lot about yourself and I've been a great one for a mirror image. I've got a big, long mirror in my room on the door. And when I'm not travelling too well, I go and have a look at it and I'll say, Ron, God loves you. Ron, I love you. You know, and I do all that kind of therapy. That's great.
0: That's good. You haven't stopped doing that. You, you're certainly not saying, you know, that, that was in your past that you've done. You, you still incorporate it into your daily life now.
1: No, yeah, that's right. Well, the whole thing here, where I am, When it broke out, I was very keen to see how they were going to handle it, and they handled it oh brilliantly. You know, like they decided they said we've got a problem, so they sent home all their paid staff, then they brought in agency workers, and they shut the thing down straight away. And look, I've been following. I've been uh, see what I've got an interest in what they've done where I am with this virus because I'm now putting together a model you know, a model of how to do it, what to do and when to do it and that sort of thing. And I'm enjoying putting that model together.
0: So what happened? So they sent off all the staff and they had agency staff come in instead?
1: Yeah, straight away because um, it was brilliantly done. It, it, there's no doubt about it. It was brilliantly done. And, of course, and what was so beautiful for me, some of the agency staff that came in I knew, you know, personally. Right. Yeah. but. Um, uh, see, I was born a Kid owl out the other side of Orange, and see, I, you know a lot of people out in the bush still know who I am and that sort of thing. So, you know, some of the people were here. for For example, there was a lovely couple that came, and um, uh, he was the grandson of the man who started Common Co Coaches, and um, that was that was a great catch-up time with them because we had a great conversation about where the Covenco coaches went and anyhow he brought me the book that he'd written about his grandfather and the Coven Co coaches and so I connect with people like that I always look for a connection how can I connect and I did that when I was a pastor what I used to do when I wanted to to go round and I'd train people to go not door knocking and you know I'd say don't knock on the door and say I'm from such and such a church. Just when you open the gate, have a look and see if they've got beautiful roses or or beautiful carnations, whatever they got. And so you walk up to the door, you knock on the door and you open the door and the first word you say, oh my, your roses are beautiful. And you've got a connection immediately. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So if someone comes into an aged care facility to visit their loved one, what should they say
1: first? Well, that that's the whole thing is when they come in, they've got a, a beautiful model of how they have to now. They, they're they instructed as they come in what they've got to do and naturally they've got to wear a mask and so forth, et cetera, like that. But they have to sign in now. We, there's a big television set where it's set up where they sign in, you know, and then they've got to sign out again and that type of thing. And then they're brought to the room of their loved one. And when they've spent their half hour, then they press the buzzer and then the staff come and get them and take them back out, you see. Oh, yes, it's well run. well uh, where I am. As, uh, I mean, when I finish this model, it, it'll be well put together because it's, it's just it with the alertness, The quickness and uh, the directness and um, how they activated and of course where I am there were people who passed away and there was quite a number that got the virus but it was so brilliantly handled and I I think and then I I sort of look at the news and I think of some of these other places and I think to myself yeah if they had had a model they wouldn't have had as many deaths you know, because, you see, like, as a pastor, you've got to have a model to run a church. If you don't have a model of how you're going to handle situations and then something crops up unexpected, you, you can make a mess of it.
0: This episode is proudly brought to you by the Enhancing Emotional Wellbeing in Late Life workshop. This essential training is for anyone supporting older adults seeking practical strategies to reduce isolation and loneliness and help older adults make new and exciting as well as fulfilling moments. Find out more today from wisecare.com.au. Can you tell me just briefly about, you know, you mentioned that quite a few people passed away in your, at your
1: residence. How does it affect other residents? It, it affects everybody. It really, because you know them. You've got to know them over a period of time. You see, you get to know a lot of people in the dining room, you know, and you've got to know them, and you get to know them in activities, you know. But the beautiful thing about today is that you can see their funeral service online, and we've been able to do that. Like people that have passed away, I can think of a couple, and we've been able to go to the chapel and sit and watch their funeral service online. And that's just as if you're at the funeral. That means a lot to people who knew the person that passed away.
0: Mm. So people can just log in and look at it online and feel like they're participating. Does that help to create that sense of closure?
1: Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Oh, look, you've got to do things that will always bring a sense of closure. You know, when I was a sponsor of Grow International, or it was Recovery many years ago, and I was pastor in a church at Bondi Junction at the time, And I had 45 people in the group, and um, I don't know whether you know much about Grow International or Recovery, but it's a great, great organisation that was started by a Catholic priest. And the beautiful thing about that is that you, you look for ways and means of how you can bring the healing and restoration. And you do that, and I've always done that as a pastor, and I can Tell you a, a lovely family story about I was in a certain place as a pastor and the mother passed away. Now, the, the two daughters had not spoken to the mother for over 20 years and they hadn't spoken to one another probably for about 15 years. But it was at the graveside that they became united again. They became united and a lot of sobbing and crying and so forth, et cetera. And what you do when you have that, you have closure like in I, another one, I'll tell you one, another story that uh, in, in recovery or Grow International I conducted, <laughs> it was hilarious this day, I conducted a big funeral, a big army funeral you know, and um, I came back and uh, my first call made was in the group, I'm a bit tired today, I conducted a big funeral well a woman started to cry you know, and I said what's the matter? And anyhow, the story was that she hadn't. She'd had a bust up with her mother, and they hadn't spoken for over 20 years. And she was late getting to the funeral. You know, she was in another state, and she was late getting there. And of course, they wouldn't open the coffin for her to kiss her mother goodbye. You know. And I said, "Look, I said, okay, let's talk about it." We weren't around the group. We talked about it. And I said, "Well, look, just now, just tell her." I said, "Tell her, you know, she's in heaven. Tell her." I said, just tell her that just sorry. And I said, the angels will carry the message. Well that brought absolute closure for this woman. To see her then smile and, you know, just feel at peace. That's what I do. They're the kind of silly things I do.
0: <laughs> it's I don't think it's silly, I think it's very useful. So what you're saying is that At the place where you live, if if someone passes away, there is the way that you could
1: say goodbye or get involved or watch the funeral? Oh, yes. Yes, you can always do. or You can always communicate something. But you go back to that statement I told you a while ago, you've got to get a sense of the occasion. You've got to get, well, if they've come from, look, there, there's a, such a variety of people in these places. There's some people who have travelled the world. There's some very well-educated people. There's some people that have been, you know, like heart specialists and all of those. these kind of places cater for even, even the most brilliant people as well as ordinary people. And that's why it's so beautiful. You know, you get somebody who, who might come in here who may have been a very brilliant brain specialist, but um, they are now at the stage where they're ill themselves and need care. But sometimes you can have a great conversation. And the other one I love is the dementia. We've got a big um, concept on that. I did a lot of research on that. And, and uh, my lovely wife, who's been gone five years now almost, And she was going into slow dementia. And so I thought to myself, and I talked to the fellow who was speaking at a big conference one day on dementia, and I said to him, I said, there has to be little windows that you can get in through. And he said, there could be. So I started on this little window. Because, you see, psychiatrists work that way. And my own daughter's a brilliant psychologist, anyhow. So anyhow, we got talking about this, and so the, the next thing, I found out, and they're doing it now. Music, and you know, different things that will do the connection. So I, I started with my barrel when she was in her early days, and I do it through nostalgia. And I so I, one night I was sitting down with her, and you know, she wasn't communicating very well, and I said, "Tell me, when you were a girl, you used to get dressed up in your your Red Cross outfit and you'd go and uh, on Anzac Day, man, march with your pop." Well, one hour just flew, and she told me everything about the march and how she enjoyed it and everything. So it's all all comes back to association, how you can and look at a lot of them that respond to music. There's um, I saw I saw a lovely story a while back where the boy plays the guitar and he went in to see his mother and he started playing a song and she started singing.
0: Wow! Yeah, all these breakthroughs that you can experience here yeah, with people. Yeah through different strategies. You see,
1: the whole idea of um, keeping the associated idea and bonding. See, I wasn't allowed to, I couldn't even hold my daughter when she was first born and we weren't allowed in the delivery room in those days. But now they're that and the husband's in and they bond straight away. Bonding is very precious with a child.
0: Yes, that's right. Do you, I mean, outside of the pandemic, Are there children that visit the place where you live?
1: Oh, yes. uh, When when we're allowed to, when we're we're travelling all right, we have a little group from a a little preschool across the road here, just away from not far from where we are. They come and they sing some songs and they do some activities. Oh, yes. And that keeps us connected with their little childhood.
0: Yeah, and that's great so that they have that
1: exposure. Absolutely. That's great. And we have some beautiful entertainers come in and, and um, do an hour's program with us, some beautiful singers, opera singers and all those kind of people. They come and they spend their time with us. That's great.
0: As a final thought, Ron, have you got any you know, tips or advice or messages, like if you spoke on behalf of the place where you are at now about what's going on and what, what members of the general public could do to help out, is there anything that comes to
1: mind? Oh, look, there's a lot of things, and that's why I'm putting this model together. But I've never, you're the first person I've shared anything with. I've just been putting this model together, how we can incorporate families and the outside world to these places, because it's so very important. You see, the thing is, what I visualised in my own research is that from the 4th of March, and you say you're shut down for three months, and it's like being in prison because you're in the room. You can't go anywhere, you know, and sort of thing. So there's got to be a readjustment. So you've got to have a readjustment plan for the people. How, how, like, I mean, I had to laugh at myself. About a fortnight ago, my daughter took me to see the icebreaker. That was my first day out of the complex, right? And uh, I'm sitting in the car and I'm thinking, oh, God, isn't it great? I'm outside. I can see the trees. I can see the, you know, and everything like that. And it was sort of a sense of excitement to be out. But it's also a re-educating. And I think what what's the most important thing about uh, this virus and the way that it's operating is be grateful that it's operating at the way that people are giving us information. I mean, I grew up in the Depression, the Depression years. So I went through the Second World War years as well, right? Now, I had relatives who came home from the first war with the Spanish flu, and we we knew about the Spanish flu as we grew up as kids, you know, and, and I've researched the Spanish flu, and um, so the beautiful thing about having a plan is to see how you, it, it all comes back to the divergent therapy, right? So when you go for your first coffee after being three months here and your first coffee out appreciate freedom because primarily that's what it is.
0: Mm. And it's been a long
1: time since you've been out,
0: so Oh
1: yeah. Uh, but the thing is that and you gotta you've got to learn to be grateful for what you've got, where you're at. And see, if I hadn't have become a Christian, I'd have been dead long ago in a drunkard's grave. And that probably had a headstone here lies a mistake. You know? But I look back and I I, I see I see that a pattern of life is given to us to enjoy. Okay, it's got its challenges and everything like that, but it's we're challenged so that we can learn, so that we can adopt and do things better. We're gonna our younger generation. This is the best thing that happened for them because they had no clue how to live before this happened. You know, they had everything at their fingertips. You know, you know you can buy what you want. $1,000 a week wages just for salary, for your job. You know, they've never had it tough. I mean, the depression years, we never knew what it was to rub two pennies together. We didn't go hungry, but we did not know what money was. And, you know, the beautiful thing of my era there was you got the dole. You got a dole ticket, you know. You didn't get money like they handed out now. But, um, you know, it was to buy your food and to buy your clothes and, it was beautiful, and we learned valuable lessons from that. And then when the Second World War broke out, I mean, I was just 18 months too young to go, but my dad got exempted. But a lot of my cousins went. Some of them didn't come back. Well, I grew up in all the hero, see. And, but I, I've had a good life because I've done all the things I wanted to do. One of my greatest desires when I was young was to be a, a stockman and a rodeo rider, and I did that. So I've had a lot of fun doing what I wanted to do and i played rugby league and I've coached rugby league and so, you know, I'm a very grateful person.
0: No, definitely. And I think that you're adding so much value to the place where you're living as well. I'm sure that they're very grateful to have you and your wisdom to share with them at these times and and, and the challenges that are presented with the virus and not being able to connect, you know, to the outside world. I think that the discussion of groups sound particularly beneficial for the residents and you know minimize the impact of the
1: isolation oh yes well they they do some wonderful other thing they got they got staff here that run groups too and one of the staff run a group called word game and that is absolutely stimulating they'll put up half a statement on the board and you've got to think of the other half you know uh, and little australian cliches and then the, after they've done that for a while then they'll take a a phrase and then you have to build words out of the phrase and all of that, that's all good stimulating of the mind and, uh, you know, it's marvellous how they enjoy that, you know, and that's an hour program and that's, that's very well run and that kind of thing. But what's so good about all of these programs, they have an atmosphere of calmness and that's important.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that, you know, especially if the residents at the moment have any any cognitive impairment with what's going on, it probably just makes them even more stressed. So being able to be calm is very
1: important, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's true. And then you've got to be aware that some of these residents have been through a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, okay. So I think you just illustrate that you never stop learning and I've certainly learnt a lot in the last... Al, from you and chatting to you about all these different things and, and what we can do to improve well-being of older people in aged care facilities.
1: Well, I think, Julie, I think the most important thing, and it was like all the grandkids that said at the, their grandmother's funeral at the Thanksgiving service, she left behind a legacy. She left behind a legacy of love. They talked about the time that they'd come to see grandma and she'd have the tin tams. And you know, and uh, the time she loved her mangoes and all of this sort of thing. And I think that's what is the most valuable thing, and it's very valuable to me that I leave behind something for my family. And I've got a very loving family.
0: Thank you so much, Ron, for sharing all your wisdom and your experience. And I think it's really good for the listeners to know exactly how things are from the other side in terms of the pandemic and, and how how things are managed because we just hear the negative things on the media. You don't
1: necessarily hear about all the hard work that goes behind the scene as well. Oh, yeah, but it, it'll pass. Look, everything in my lifetime, we've had these episodes and that, but they pass. And out of it, we learn very valuable lessons. And, you know, the whole thing about it, like, I mean, I I smile when they started this distancing, uh, you know, staying 18 inches from one another as well. I mean, when we were growing up, we never got real close to one another until you fell in love with a girl or or she fell in love with a man. But, I mean, it was distancing all the time. You never addressed anybody by their ordinary name. It was always Mr. or Mrs. Uh, You know, there was that ethical teaching and... uh, And there was that kind of situation that you felt comfortable in. Well, what this virus has done is put us right back into that era.
0: Yes, yes. To revisit some of those concepts about personal distance and, yeah, and hygiene.
1: And hygiene.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Ron, for your time and for sharing all your learnings and experiences with us today.
1: It's a sheer joy to be with you and share with you.
0: Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care, done and dusted. Be sure to become a subscriber on your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss out when I release the next episode. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. So please leave a rating and review too. Over on my website, wisecare.com.au, with one click, you can grab a copy of my three top downloaded resources on mental health and well-being in older age. Let's face it, this can be a complex topic and I want to give you practical strategies to deal with it. Go to wisecare.com.au for your free copy of these three amazing resources. See you in the next episode.